0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's webinar presented by Kinexus. I'm your host, Mark Graven, and I'm really excited that we have uh, a topic today that's really got broad applicability beyond Six Sigma and DMAIC. Um, it's titled Avoiding Common Pitfalls in the DMAIC Methodology, and we're joined um, by Simon Castro as our presenter. So thank you, Simon, for being here. So with that, let me introduce... Again, Simon Castro, our presenter. You see a few highlights about his background and, and credentials here. Um, Simon is a Lean Six Sigma Black Belt. He currently works with Texas Health Resources. He is also certified as a coach and as a change management practitioner. He has a BS and an MS in industrial engineering. So hooray, industrial engineers. I'm happy to have another IE on here presenting today. Um, uh, Simon has more than 25 years of experience, 17 of them working in Lean Six Sigma managerial roles in companies like Sara Lee, Johnson & Johnson, and since 2007, Texas Health Resources. And there, Simon has worked on the design, implementation, and maintenance of Kinexus. So thank you uh, to Simon and THR uh, for being uh, great customers. In his continuous improvement journey, Simon has accumulated a great deal of experience in the design and delivery of Lean Six Sigma content and has coached more than 300 yellow and green belt projects to successful completion. So building on that experience, I'm looking forward to um, all of the coaching that we're getting today. Uh, and so with that, Simon, I'll turn it over to you.
1: Thank you, Mark. And thank you everybody for taking time from your day. And in some cases, time. To, to be here with us sharing uh, what, what I consider a passion um, for, for myself. And if you're here, probably it's, it's the same case that you're very passionate about this. Um, Mark told me I was gonna be speaking in front of 400 people. I'm just sitting in my office and speaking in front of my computer. So it's very weird. This is what these times are giving us. So today we're gonna be saying some um, some pitfalls and and, and some drawbacks in the application of continuous improvement in general. Um, We framed it around DMAG, but um, we were talking earlier, Mark and I, that many of these slides are applicable to any continuous improvement project, A3, PDSA, you name it. We're gonna see some examples and hopefully give you some tips on how um, how to tackle them. Okay, so before we start, this is not a research based on a tally, a survey with with histograms. This is based on experience. Um, so not based on research yet. And the examples, of course, are not real. And we are assuming at some point that you have, if you signed off for this and you don't know about Demake, it's okay. We're going to give you a, a, a quick one minute review of what it is. And uh, very, very important for us is to obtain your feedback at the end. So you can help us continuously improve the way we continuously improve, right? So if you know DMAKE, bear with me for one minute. If you do not, I'm gonna give you a crash course of one minute, and this is a trick. How I explain this, you might want to steal this idea because it works. When I explain DMAKE in class, I talk about you going to a doctor's consultation. You arrive there, doctor, I'm here. What brings you here? Define the problem. So that's the first one. And define. Tell me what's bringing you here. What are the symptoms? Um, and then the next step is a doctor checking your vitals, right? Or running some tests for the labs. That will be the measure phase. And then when the results are back, and when he, he, he or she checks your vitals and compares them, to standards, then they can find the root cause, what's bringing you to the office, or actually not the symptoms, but the infection probably. And only at that moment, they can go to the improved phase, which is giving you a treatment or a therapy or whatever. But before you leave, they say, come back in a couple of weeks or I'll be calling you soon. So that'll be the control phase. So that's the make in a nutshell. It is structured, like you can see. It's a problem-solving method that is used for Six Sigma to reduce variability, and it is uh, data-driven. That's very important. Um, And from the beginning, it's focused on the customer. It's centered around the customer. So that's part of what's bringing us here. Continuous improvement based on this structure, okay? Just for your information, the slides that will be seen, and this is kind of a table of contents, if you will, Um, but... To save some time in the presentation, we included in the right-hand corner and the bottom uh, the they make um, uh, the letters for each one of them. And if you see one of those letters um, darker with a dot in the bottom, it means that slide is pertaining to that specific um, stage of the, of the methodology. Okay. So let's start from one of the most common problems that we see here. Using DMake when we are not supposed to be using DMake—that is a problem because we're dedicating resources and time to apply tools when we don't need them. So, if the problem is complex, that's the key. If the risks are high, that's the key. Maybe you need DMake in this case. But um, the good thing about DMake is that it discourages the team from skipping any steps. You have to follow to get to the analyze phase. You have to do define and measure first. So. For you to have a successful project, you need to follow this structure. And that's something that not necessarily is applicable in other cases. But the key point here is when you use the make in situations that are not for problem solving, then that's not really appropriate. You are using Six Sigma as a substitute for logic, for common sense, and you're making it more complex and you're dedicating more time. And one of the root causes of this is that we have designed Uh, a very beautiful, in many companies, a very um, attractive um, certification program. And people want to be certified through the completion of a DMake project. So they want to use the DMake methodology for whatever idea they have in mind. We have to be aware of that. The other thing is, this is a methodology that is better used when working in a team environment. So what if you don't have that team input? Or what if you don't seek it? Because you don't have the leverage, you don't have your hierarchy, you don't have anybody reporting to you, which is a case for many lean practitioners. Um, but in each one of these cases, um, you will need input like measuring, trying to find the me- the, the, the numbers out there, or in the analyze phase, um, finding root causes or brainstorming solutions. Also, in every one of the phases, you need your team. So. How can you avoid people from doing this flying solo thing? What can you do? First, make sure that you have a team of cross functional uh, people that uh, represent every one of the areas that is impacted. Because your project, regardless of the scope, think about the changes you might be doing are going to be impacting different departments. In the case of a hospital, you have the lab and radiology and the pharmacy, ED, all people here have something to add to the collaboration in the brainstorming process. Um, But you also got to obtain not only their commitment, but the commitment from the supervisors. Commitment that that comes after you tell them what's expected from them. Um, But very important, some of these people, if you have a meeting in the the middle of the day, and this person is a frontline um, employee, they cannot attend, or maybe they are in the second shift or the third shift. So they cannot attend either. So you have a, to have a plan for that. Have that in mind from the beginning. This, uh, the case for change management. The, the The main problem here is that we don't teach necessarily change management in 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 DMA or in process improvement classes. We we have another chapter for that. But are very they're ingrained. And in case you don't have the preparation or the knowledge about change management, find somebody who does. But you can be at least aware that there is such a thing. And this is a problem that we see when the stakeholders of the project are not supporting the changes or not even not supporting, resisting in some cases. So try to get some help to prepare a solid uh, plan for change management that includes um, communications in, in the sense of what are you going to be uh, communicating, by which mean, to whom, uh, how frequently, etc. A resistance management plan in which you can see the stakeholders, their level of engagement versus their level of influence and see if there's any gaps there and what, what will you do. A training plan, a coaching plan, there's a lot more to it. Also very important, these roles need to be very clear. Besides any other team members, you have a leader for each one of the projects and you have a process owner and a sponsor. Not in every case, hopefully in most cases you will have the uh, the, uh, continuous improvement coach helping you. So each one of these people need to be very clear on their roles and what is expected of them. And one tool that you can use for that is a RACI chart. Think about RACI as responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed. Um, and this is a matrix that helps you to tell people what is their level of expectation. If I'm invited to this meeting, was that a for your information or was, can I miss it and I see just the meeting notes or is something that I need to deliver? Am I accountable, responsible for this? But that's a very important thing. And last but not least, be aware that sometimes we have sponsors that are not engaged not supporting but also we have the the opposite side of the spectrum which is a sponsor that is too engaged and we need to leave some air for breathing for the for the project leader i think you know what i mean here um and this is um, like you said before these are applicable to all of the project all of the phases of the project now Talking from the defined perspective, but also impacting the whole project, the scope creep, which is something you can Google, just these two words and you'll find lots of literature about it. Um, the case here is the project has started, but we keep increasing the scope of the project and expanding it and changing it. A very uncontrolled growth. And when you're gonna talk about the impact this has on the budget or the timeline, um, not good so you got to be clear on the process boundaries what's in and out of scope what departments are included etc etc and again let's talk about the sponsor here not to assign blame but the sponsor has a very important role here because they can lead the scope group or they can prevent it so what can you do from the beginning If you are the project leader or coaching a project leader, try to sit down and come up with a timeline for this project. When do you expect each one of the stall gates to be completed? And that should be a good indicator. Your project should be completed in a reasonable amount of time. But also, you have to have the ability to yield this project to somebody else if needed. Many companies don't know how to differentiate if a project is yellow belt or green belt or black belt. You don't need to know that. But what you need to know is the trade-off between benefits and effort. If you think this project is high risk or high benefits, and you think it needs somebody with more experience and knowledge, make sure you can you can do that and and have another opportunity for you. Or it's not a a, a sin to split this project into smaller. Uh, stages or phases and that'll be actually a good practice in some cases. Just complete some work, celebrate, learn, pilot and then move on to phase two of this project. That is something that we recommend a lot. Oh this one pains me. Um, Having prescribed solutions is something we see every, every time that we're dealing with people and the problem here is that we as humans and as employees, we, we, we have hardwired the idea, actually brings me back to in time, do not bring me problems, bring me solutions. That's what we heard from our boss a while ago, right? And nobody wants to go to their supervisor and say, I have discovered something from the process that needs to be fixed, but I have no clue on how to fix it. That doesn't make you look good. So you probably want to have the solution beforehand, but it's a mistake for these type of projects. If you have the solution, great. We're not saying just do it. But this is the case um, that happens in different ways. Number one, you have a solution already. So you are trying to create a problem for that solution. It sounds crazy, but it's very common. Um, And in this case, you gotta be aware of the word idea. When we have programs that say, uh, bring us your ideas, people have the word idea as a solution. And it's better to change the language, opportunities for improvement, change the language to that, okay? The second case is, well, you have a solution and you're jumping from where you want to be to that solution without any measurements, without any analyze phase, no root causes, so you're just jumping and skipping steps. It won't work if you're doing the process improvement, at least Six Sigma based. Or the third case, which is a disconnection between where you wanna be and that solution. It's just, the idea is cool, we like it, and we want to apply it for this specific problem. Um, what we should be doing is, again, going back to the DMEG methodology, in this case, you know, you have a desired outcome in your defined phase. In your measure phase, you get to see the gap, where you are, where you want to be, And in the analyze phase, you found the root cause. Now you can talk about brainstorming a solution. So the the thing here is, I'm not saying, if you have a great idea, go ahead and do it. But there's no need to do root cause analysis. Well, do the project with a different methodology. Maybe it's about change management. Maybe it's about project management. The metrics, this world of metrics that we have, this could be a whole webinar by itself. So what happens when the metrics you have chosen do not show the opportunity for actual change, actual improvement of your process? Um, be aware of this concept of leading and lagging indicators. That's very important. Leading indicators are the ones that tell you the predictors, what could happen. And lagging indicators are the ones that tell you how you did. It's um, post mortem, if you want, you know, it's a posteriori. So, lagging indicators in this example for a project related to reducing patient falls in the hospital, the number of actual falls is a lagging indicator. It's very much needed and actually it's reportable. But the leading indicators in the same project will be. Measuring before and after your project, the number of factors of risk factors present in the in the area or in the process, um, the level of training that you have in that for that specific situation, um, the resulting an audit before and after. Those are leading indicators because they can help you improve and reduce the patient falls, which you will need to do. So um, use both of them, and if you have a chance to to see your dashboard in detail and go through each one of the metrics in your dashboard or your scorecard, you'll be surprised of the percentage of lagging versus leading that, that we have. So make sure to use both. I saw this somewhere, but I can't find the author. I just loved it because it it's my feelings exactly. Measure what you value. Don't just value what you measure. So don't take your KPIs or your KPNs as the Bible, as golden. I mean, yes, they're good, but just don't restrict yourself to that world. Maybe there are metrics that haven't been found yet or that you can create for your project. Let me put you this example. Some metrics that are not conducive to improvement. There's a national standard in hospitals, which is the door to needle time, which I'm sure some of you are familiar with. This is the time that passes between a patient arriving in the emergency department with stroke-like symptoms and the moment they're given an injection with the right medication. And according to the national standard, it should be below 60 minutes. But now we have in our minds that 59 minutes is okay, except that if it's your family member that is in, in that situation, five minutes is too long for you. So by definition, it's giving us a limitation that 60 minutes is okay. But guess what? The reportable metric that many hospitals have is how many cases they had with this situation and how many of them were below 60 minutes. So a rate of compliance. When in fact, what you want to do in a project here is reduce that time. By using the percentage of compliance, you're not actually improving. When you measure the actual time, now you're able to separate step by step, value added, non-value added, and compare against that standard. So that's just a situation in which you take an existing metric but created a new one to, to help improve. The Gemba, this, we love Japanese words in the Lean Six Sigma world and, and this one is one of my favorites. Um, this is when your project, this is connected from the reality out there or your process or your, your team is not does not have a very strong knowledge of the process. So that's probably because you have been away from the Gemba. The Gemba is the place where things happen, the actual place where things are transformed or the services provided. So not only do you need to collect metrics, you need to do a process map, but you will do that in a room, in a board. However, going out there, that's the biggest source of information. Be aware that you go out there and you're a manager or a director and you feel compelled to you know, say things and audit things and you know do the visual inspection. And you are there to learn and to ask and to see with humbleness and respect people. So in-person observation is a great source of information. One of the biggest failure modes for improvement processes is ignoring this, this the Gemba. Think about CSI. I've seen CSI Miami, CSI Vegas, CSI New York. I haven't seen CSI desk right? Somebody trying to solve a crime from sitting behind a desk. So this is the same case. Be aware. There's a limitation here. Your past experience, the assumptions that you have in your mind can give you some preconceived notions. So you got to get rid of those. Now going to a specific tool here for analyze. Here's the five whys. And um, I have a problem with the animation here. So The five whys are not helping us to get to the root cause of the problem. And we can say why, right? Not in this case. If the tool is not helping, be careful. In this example, you are probably stopping too soon or too far. And I gave you this example, a very simple example in which each one of the stops you do can lead you to a different course of action. Somebody fell on the floor, you're doing an investigation. Why did they fall? Because they stepped on a grease spot. If you just take that answer for valid, then you're gonna talk about you know safety awareness and adding warning signs, and Dr. Demi will be very mad at you if you know what I'm talking about. But you can keep asking, why were there reason the floor? Oh, there was a pipe leak. Oh, it's about the pipes. Okay. Now your focus is on cleaning the floors and fixing the leaks and doing an inspection, which is okay. You need to do it. But if you keep asking, why was the pipe leaking? they didn't give it uh, maintenance. Oh, now you can point fingers and try to create accountability and blame, or maybe just train the personnel, you know. Uh, But if you keep asking, why didn't this pipe was maintained? Because we don't have a proper maintenance program. Now you're focusing on the maintenance program to fix the falls and everything. It doesn't mean that everything before is not valid, but This is the right root cause. And you know you arrive to the root cause when you can answer positively to these two questions. If it wasn't present there, would the situation have happened? And number two, if we fix it, will the problem reoccur? So that's your key. Other things to be mindful when you do the five whys is disconnected questions. For me, there's a very uh, simple check that I do, which is verbalizing the backwards 5Y, which is the 5 because, I call it. So I go from the very root cause to the actual event. Because we don't have a proper maintenance program, we didn't give maintenance to the pipes. Because we didn't maintain the pipes, there was a pipe leak. Because of the pipe leak, there was grease on the floor. Because there was grease on the floor, the employee failed. I know it sounds very logical, but in some cases, you can see the disconnection. The other thing is asking the questions properly. Because we are told to ask why five times. Just the the, the word why doesn't lead you to a direction. So you need to ask why did X, Y, Z happen? Because it can give you um, a clue for what's next. Also, in terms of five Y, you know, be careful of not falling into areas that are out of our control. Because you're gonna see yourself limited here in terms of what you can do to fix the problem and avoid blaming, the blame game. Most importantly here is do not try to use the five Y in a single direction, trying to get to a single root cause. If you need to split, split. Going back to the same example we used before, when you talk about why was there grease on the floor, you can underline grease and go to the area of the maintenance where we saw, But you can underline floor and ask another question here. Why wasn't this floor cleaned? So that's two different questions. Now you're branching out your your 5Y. Um, And in this case, we got to another root cause because we are calculating the cleaning staff based on the volume of the company, not based on square footage. We did a reduction and then this area was not clean. I encourage you to Google in YouTube, 5Y Titanic. It's gonna be an amazing journey. It's a great example of why did Titanic sink? And and you will see how they split and split the five Y. It's a great learning exercise. The Fishbone has the same issue. It's a great tool, but it's not leading you to a clear course of action. It's not giving you the power that you were expecting uh, from it. Why? How can you do it better? The first thing is fishbone is not supposed to be used by itself. It's supposed to be used in combination with another with the five Y that I just showed you. So the Fisbon can help you collect first causes, initial level causes, but you need to use the five Y to go deeper and drill deeper. In this example here, the the problem is, you know, in the Ishikawa cause and effect, the product is out of spec. And the reason is because the raw material one is out of spec. End of story. What are you gonna do now? You don't have And you don't have a clear course of action here. What are you gonna do? Now, if you dual dripper, well, it was out of spec because we saw that the diameter was the the measurement that was out of spec because we found that the supplier has the wrong specs. Oh, so our problem is document control and versions of this document that are not maintained properly. If we take care of that, then the product will be received um, with the right specifications. Talking about fishbone also, I think it helps the language too. When you express the causes in the complete sentence of because X then Y, it helps. It helps you to take better action. So if you put in the fishbone, in the case of defects, you put in the environment category, illumination. Okay, but what about it? So try to ask people to help you complete the sentence or illumination. Or poor illumination makes inspection more difficult, which is now a, a huge sentence, but it helps you. It's giving you now something to work on. So language is important as well. Also, the category problem with the fish bones. Which are the right categories? Do we have too many? Do we have too few? When you take a step back and see it visually, if one of the branches is too busy or too empty, then you probably want to reconsider these categories. But my experience is, do not have any categories from the beginning. Get with, together with the team. Again, this is done in a, in a team environment. It's a hundred times better. And ask them with post-it notes to write down what they consider the potential root causes. And I say post-it notes to avoid groupthink, okay? They hand it over to you and then you put them on the board and now you can do an affinity diagram and you see the categories coming to life by themselves as opposed to starting from the categories. And then you can add some other categories that you don't want to leave out, but be careful if you need more categories. Um, And the one thing that I consider very helpful is at the end of your exercise, try to single out, based on the questions that I said before, if this is a root cause or not, try to circle them. And the ones that are not, try to cross them off because this will help you for your next step, which is the action plan. I know there's a lot to take in. Each one of these could be a a webinar by itself. So talking about action plans, these are as useful as you make them. They can be your best friend or your worst enemy. But this is, for me, the core of the project. Everything else was leading you to this. So in the case of the action plans, we have a lot of things that can go wrong. For example, you're not in a position to delegate because none of the people around you report to you or you don't feel empowered, or you don't have the support from your sponsor to do the delegation, um, or it's very ambiguous. Um, Some things need to happen before others, and unfortunately, we don't teach project management either um, when we talk about continuous improvement, but there is such a thing as a critical path and you need to be aware of it in your project, in your action plan, or plans that are too generic. I'm gonna give you an example in a minute. and this is very common. A great list of action items in your plan to be done, but nothing to do with the analyze phase. So, why did you do the analyze phase if you're not using it to make your action plan powerful? This disconnection is something you have to be aware of and make people aware of because it happens very frequently. So, what can you do? Look at this example. This is just an item taken from the fishbone or taken from the 5Y. The people are not following the procedure. That's your one of the causes for your product out of spec or patient dissatisfaction. The action item will train the associates, train the people. And who's going to do it? HR is going to do it by the 30th of September. Looks good, but the same thing could be expressed like this. And once you you know open it out, people are like, wait, that's a lot to do. This is the same thing as train associates, but just detailed. The granularity here now helps me to say we need to you know obtain input from different people in the area and then prepare the training, validate it, conduct it in this first shift, conduct it in the second shift, um, and then give a quiz to people to see if they learned, um, and then do a refresher and then include it in the new hires deck. All these things are can be expressed as train associates but in the second case here, it's helping you to have a better resource availability planning. Also, the responsibles here are not just HR. These are different people, specific people with due dates and you can see the prerequisites here, the dependencies and also the status. So this is the way that I like to show an action plan because it helps you with accountability and resource allocation. And it helps you to provide a better idea on the timeline, the expectation for your deliveries. Now, talking about some of these items in this plan, many cases are um, solutions that are focused on people. And don't get me wrong, we need people to make things happen. But people are human and human have the tendency to Make mistakes because that's part of our design, right? And we can revert to the old ways and not sustain the results. How do we prevent this? Just being aware of this hierarchy that I find very useful. If you move up in this hierarchy, you move to more effective solutions and, um, and solutions that are more focused on the system than in the people. So try to move up. That's the main takeaway here. You start from the very early stage, which is, remember the case of the grease in the floor, just a warning and an alert. That's okay, you need to do that. And then the next level, a little higher. Okay, training, education, good. But people will have learning gaps, application gaps, decision, omission, memory gaps, because that's human error. Okay, let's make it a policy and, or a procedure and reinforce it and, you know, Now it's part of the um, principles of the company. Great, that's all good. But now you're talking about reminders and visual um, aids and cheat sheets and checklists. Now you're getting a little better here. I'm not saying one substitute the other, it's on top of the other. But now we're moving to standardization. Now we're talking about Lean Six Sigma here because standardization is the best friend of quality, is the best friend of efficiency making sure that people are uh, uh, doing the things the right time every time. Or if you can afford moving to automation, even better, or poke a yoke or mistake proof, which is the very top of the hierarchy here. So just be aware that your solutions should be moving a little up. If somebody comes up with a list of things that are based on education and warnings, try to move up a little here. It will help the project a lot. Moving to the control phase, sometimes the nature of the data that we have is not helping us to close a project because it's hard to obtain. The first case is be aware of the frequency in which you obtain the data. If you're gonna plot it specifically, if you have a monthly data, at the end of one month, you have one data point. Or if you have weekly data, you have probably four data points. How about daily data? Now we can talk about statistical process control right? So I know it's difficult because you're using what you were given, but if you inquire a little, the way this dashboard or scorecard is maintained, the the information is out there. It's just not reported on a weekly basis, but you can obtain it probably on a weekly basis. Um, In the case of hospitals, be aware of the the time that will pass since the moment that you make a change and the moment that you obtain feedback about that change. And this is a case for um, patient satisfaction surveys, or breast gaining as we call them, or HCAPs. In this case, you made a change, the patient was uh, discharged, they went home, then you sent a survey after that, and then they received it, and then they decided to answer, if they decide to answer. By the time you receive that answer, a couple of months probably have passed. And be aware here that the people that answered that survey three months ago, and, and the people that are answering the same question now, it's not apples to apples. They had different realities. But be aware of the time that it will take you to collect that data point. And also consider that in some cases, you will need to include um, the seasonal changes. So plan for that. And if you have to negotiate time for your project completion, do it. Because now that everybody is seeing you in the control phase, it's like, okay, let's do it. Let's close it. Let's get you... Um, certified, if that's the case, or let's celebrate, let's move on to the next project, but the project's still active, okay? This is um, a quick list of revisiting phases. The nature of the make, from what I told you at the beginning is very linear. So when you're in the defined phase, it will tell you what to measure and that will lead you to a great analysis, et cetera, et cetera. But in reality, in the practice, the progression can be different, can be indirect. Sometimes you are in one phase and you realize you have to go back one or more steps. And that needs to be done. So a good Tollgate review, when you're going to do the analyze review, review the define and measure also. Revisit the phases if you need to. It's okay to go back. Probably measure something differently or add more data points or something or repeat the analysis or in some cases, even changing the goals of the project, okay? So this is something that we have seen happening. The goals at the beginning, how do you set them? Based on what? You don't have a lot of information. Now that you know a lot about the process and things that can and can't be done, you can go back and say, I think this goal was too ambitious. Let's negotiate this. Or maybe it was not ambitious at all. Maybe we can, you know, Change the objectives to something bigger and bolder and wider. Coming to the end, as the end of the project approaches, we have a lot of things that we forget to do before we move on to the next project, which is, um, I, I'm doing a quick list here, but you can do your own list and, and do a checklist here. If you did a failure mode effect analysis, you probably want to recalculate the risk priority numbers for each one of these failure modes because this means that you put controls in place and you want to recalculate those. That's very important. If you did a current state map, do a future state map, whether it's a value stream or just a flow chart, you want to show the before and after here because the after will be the basis for the stage two or the future um, improvement process. As I mentioned before, sometimes, yes, your project was based on training people, but you need to schedule a refresher. You have to be aware of updating procedures, updating policies if needed, or creating those if you need it. But if you created them, make sure that there's a revision time, okay, and the versions. But also, if you're changing the way things are done, it's affecting people. Make sure the goals of these people and these departments are updated as well. And in some cases, the performance review, if that's applicable. If we said that this is customer centric, then make sure that at the end of the project, you validate your changes with the customer and you send the post survey to make sure that this is aligned with their voice of the customer, with, the, with what you heard about, the voice of the customer at the beginning. And don't forget to celebrate. I know it's, it sounds like, like very obvious, but we are so eager to move to the next project or to do the same, the next thing that we forget. Some of these people that are doing these projects are not working in process improvement as, as part of their job um, description. They're using some of their you know, spare time or they're sacrificing some other things and they're getting the help of other people. You need to encourage them to do a second and third and fourth project you need to celebrate as a company that you're growing, that you're learning, that you're improving. And you need to make it obvious and you need to make it visible for everybody. So before we move to the final uh, part of the, of the uh, webinar today, some general guidelines that I put together here, make your own list in your company. Make sure you see, um, keep a tally of what things are happening and how frequently they're happening and how critical they are and create your own FMEA for the application of tools in, in process improvement. It will be very helpful. Remember you don't have to use DMAIC. Actually there is a big fight in many quality circles you know should we use PDSA, should we use DMAIC. The, the common knowledge tells us that PDSA is good for quick wins if you can afford trial and error and it's gonna be very helpful. And if you do D-Make, probably in the improve phase, you can do PDSA, but the important thing here is sometimes you, you have a good idea, just do it, or you know create the change, but you don't have to use D-Make. I put these two together because this is like a sandwich at the beginning and at the end of a project, you need a good solid project charter. That's gonna help you define the success but at the end of the project, you need a great control plan. You need to sit down and you know, put what are the, the control points, who, what, when are gonna be controlling this? So this is a sandwich of everything else is just using tools, but these are the two main points in a project. Remember, like I said before, do not just close a, a phase and move forward. Just have to revisit them if you have to. And again, these three people, there's a triangle of communication between the leader, the sponsor of that leader, and if possible, the continuous improvement coach. These three people need to be in constant communication. One of them fails and the whole triangle is down. Like I said before, create your own checklist for projects at the end. Ask people to do that as part of the um, Handover over as part of the uh, closing of the project. Did you do this and this and this and this, including recognition and, and uh, you know, for other people that helped. And this is a good case for K-Nexus. If you have your projects in a database where other people can see it, that's going to be great. And you have to encourage people to, before they start a new process improvement initiative, to go and do some search with, um tags and keywords. Have somebody in the company done this before? Has somebody, oh, I can communicate with that person and learn and see what they did so I can learn beforehand. This is an ever-increasing advantage that you have. So keeping all your projects in a good knowledge bank, that's going to be a great tool. Benchmarking is allowed and encouraged. So remember this whole conversation, if you're still asking half an hour later, why am I here? This is why you're here. Um, Because if we know these things, we can be, um, well, in my case, from the coach perspective, I can be a better coach. You can have, you can provide a better learning experience for people and prepare better content. But also from the improvement perspective, from the project leader, you're helping people to do projects in a more efficient way with less frustration. And ultimately this is about the company's resources. You're making the company uh, be more efficient and have better quality and better service by doing things better. I know there's a lot. I've been talking for a while now and I'm gonna yield it to Mark for some announcements and then um, some um, Q and A, but this will be available for you. I hope you found it useful and use it as a blueprint for improvement and again, I know I like the words that Mark said in the podcast. We are trying to continuously improve the way we continuously improve. So that should be part of our part of our um, of our goals. Thank you for your attention. And um, now I'm leading to Mark.
0: Thank you, Simon. You'll see there's references there, and um, I just put a link in the chat. If you wanna go download the slides, uh, a PDF of those uh, immediately for your review or to share, um, you can do that now. Again, that link is in the chat. You'll also be emailed that tomorrow with a link to um, the recording. So great job, Simon. Um, a lot of comments in the chat um, uh, about how useful and someone just said value-added uh, the presentation is. So great job. We have a lot of questions um, that came in. So. One of them, um, you, you touched on um, early in your talk, Simon. Oh, we're gonna do announcements first. So I'm so excited about the questions. I got off my standard work. Um, so if you could advance it real quick, Simon. Um, if you are a Kinexis customer, tomorrow is the next edition of the Training Team Office Hours with Adam Darnell and Matt Banna. You can register for that at kinexus.com webinars. Our next webinar that is open to everybody is a very special panel discussion that I'll be moderating uh, on Friday, August 14th, 1 o'clock Eastern. Um, it's called Sharing Our Visions and Voices to uh, Hashtag Root Cause Racism. So I've partnered up with um, Deandra Wardell, who you see pictured there. Um, I handed over leanblog.org to her this week, and um, she recruited um, 15 other authors to write guest posts. Some of those authors will be joining us for uh, a live panel discussion on important workplace issues um, related to um, racism and and trying to figure out how to solve um, that problem. Um, So I hope you'll join us on Friday the 14th um, for that very special panel discussion. And then next week, we have a more traditional presentation style webinar. We're really excited to have Dr. John Toussaint and Kim Barnes from catalysis next wednesday the 19th they're going to be presenting a webinar based on their um, their upcoming book called becoming the change leadership behavior strategies for continuous improvement in Healthcare." so you can register for all of those right now at kinexus.com slash webinars a few other resources i'll point you to very quickly so we can get to the q a we have the webinar on demand library at kinexus.com slash webinars we have our blog at blog.kinexus.com. And then finally, we have our podcast, which you can find at kinexus.com slash if you can advance that, please, Simon. Um, you can find it through Apple Podcasts, the newly renamed Google Podcasts, um, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. Um, so with that, we've got Q&A. Um, again, the um, link to the recording is going to be sent out Um, tomorrow. Um, So Simon, you you said early on that one uh, one pitfall is the the inappropriate use of DMAIC when a situation is is maybe uh, too simple, there's risk of overcomplicating things. Francis asks maybe in the other direction, if there's a problem, and I think you touched on this, but reemphasize this point maybe, if a problem is too complex and requires profound change and innovation, can you still use DMAIC?
1: Actually, I think you should in that case because complexity requires analysis and analysis is a key word of, of the D-Make. The, the case that I was presenting is when you don't need to do analysis. So just be aware that you can save a lot of time by not using DMake. right? I'm a promoter of DMake, but in some cases you don't need to use it. I think that's, I was trying to make you aware of it. But if it's complex, definitely, and actually, be mindful that there's levels of teammates, like the right, yellow, green, black belt with different types of tools. You want to move away from qualitative tools as well and try to yield it to somebody with, with more experience on, on quantitative analysis in that case. I hope I answered the question.
0: Thanks. We have another question here from uh, Christian joining us uh, from Lima, Peru. So thank you for being here. Um, how do you know if a sponsor is too involved? I thought that was a really interesting point you made, Simon. Can you elaborate on that? What That could be a whole presentation maybe of its own, but could you elaborate on what people should look for?
1: Uh, should I answer in Spanish? No. Um, I don't have a right answer to that, but it's important to understand um, the each case, each company has their own hierarchy and their own communication. Uh, a sponsor that is too engaged can be one that, speaks first, doesn't let project leader to take decisions or needs every decision to be vetted by him or her or wants to participate too much in the project. And the big question will be what to do in that case. That's a topic for another webinar. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is the thing, I'm an engineer. This is about dealing with people. That's, That's where we find our nemesis here. But a sponsor that is too engaged is not letting the project leader grow. There are signs, the way they communicate, the frequency in which they communicate, the way they participate, the, the style of being authoritative versus just open to suggestions. So you just, as a coach has the, you, you have the obligation to sit down and try to be a mediator here. You know, thank you for your help. Thank you for, um, let's see if they can solve it by themselves. It's a very difficult thing to answer.
0: So in follow-up question that came to mind for me, in in designing Lean Six Sigma education for champions or executives, um, it sounds like you might need to define what engagement means or how to be an effective sponsor, champion, executive, whatever you may call it, right?
1: Yeah, now we're falling into the change management field what, how do you measure engagement? But um, I think I mentioned before um, the, the, the engagement versus the influence, that's what matters here. So somebody that has a high level of influence and a low level of engagement, that's a sign for you that you need to do something or the, you know, you, you can have the opposite and it's not a problem. Somebody that doesn't have an influence on the project and is highly engaged, good, but it won't make any difference we're talking about people that have a high influence and low engagement. So signs of engagement can, be, can vary from, uh, you know, budget allocation to time allocation. We see the case of people that go to class or, mm-hmm. or get trained or have an opportunity for improvement, but they're not given the time to meet. And they're actually said, if you wanna work on this, you have to do it in your free time. So that's very discouraging. Um, Engagement means putting the money where your mouth is, in my case. It means I recognize, I don't know, but I'm the boss and I'm gonna support you from a business perspective.
0: Yeah. So there's another question um, from Jonathan, and and Simon, maybe you can touch a little bit on um, your use of Kinexus. Um, He asks, "I do these knowledge banks? And I think Kinexus is a knowledge bank and then some. How does it take into account sensitive information? So in a healthcare environment in the US, you have to worry about HIPAA and uh, protected personal information. Um, What's your experience when you have projects that may um, contain uh, sensitive topics or sensitive information?
1: We have a very clear guidelines for that. And we as coaches receive all the information from the project leaders, and we have to be aware. Actually, if you receive something and it's not coded and it has information, sensitive information from the patients, you have to talk back to the person who sent it and say, please code this, acknowledge that you received that information and actually report it, you know? And it's very, very sensitive. In the case of K-Nexus, we don't post anything there unless it's being um, seen. First of all, K-Nexus is only for people in the company. And second, it's, um, we need to check it before it's posted. So we are very aware of that. It's it's part of our DNA, you know, checking information before it's posted. So that's a very good point. It's 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 great to share, it's great to benchmark, but you need to be aware of HIPAA. Right. right. HIPAA and for people that are not in in hospital, I'm sorry. It's like protecting information from from patients for people that are not in in the hospital settings. Sorry.
0: No, sorry. I was just going to add um uh, for, uh, Kinexis does include some incident reporting options, there's a, a compliance module add-on where we're able to be fully compliant with all HIPAA regulations. Um, if there are people in the audience who are curious um, about the implications of possibly using Kinexus. So another question, maybe follow up to the sponsor topic, uh, Simon Francis asks, to what extent does a sponsor need to train in Six Sigma? We
1: provide a training for sponsors so that they can read a project, understand what's happening, understand the methodology, but you don't have to be proficient in the specific tool. Um, However, there comes the engagement. If you wanna be a better sponsor, you wanna learn more about what your people are doing. So you don't want them to know more than you at some point, Not, not a matter of ego, but a matter of being a better boss. So you're gonna be attending presentations, you're gonna be attending meetings, and they're going to be talking about Demake and root cause and you know and whatever statistical tool they're using. you want to be aware, so the level of awareness is basic and needed and important. How deep they want to go in there That's different. Um, there's this big problem in 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 companies that the higher in the organization you are, the higher the the, the level of training that you receive, but the less time you have to dedicate. To work on those projects. So now you're a director. Now you want to be a black belt, but you don't have the time to do there, uh, to do that. But the training is important. The better train the leader, the better job they in the tools and the methodology, the better job they can do at coaching, and the less time it takes. So that's a great point.
0: Another question here uh, her from Francis: If uh, a project does not use much statistical thinking or methods, is it still a DMAIC?
1: It is, and that's a good point because um, um, when I was preparing the content with Mark, we decided to leave out all the statistical uh, references. there was a whole page about statistical mishaps that can happen, especially you know when you're doing a, a design of experiments, etc. but yes, actually what I showed you today had no statistics you can have and that's a case of yellow belts we don't teach statistics we teach them qualitative tools at most a Pareto or a histogram that can be used. Um, but certainly the moment you analyze data, you have to observe trends, you have to observe patterns. So you need a coach in that case. Even if you're not using statistics, the analysis of data is implied, but you don't need your statistics to do what you make. Like I said before, you know, the, the visit to the doctor, this is a line of thinking to make sure that things are done with the less variability as possible and find root causes so you can attack them and reduce that that
0: problem. And uh, I'm gonna add, it's more of a comment than a follow-up question. Um, To me, and and there's gray area between Lean and Six Sigma practices, because some of these methods predate either term, right? So to me, a Lean environment would include the use of histograms and um, control charts. Toyota teaches um, you know the seven basic QI tools to everybody in their manufacturing operations, and they would say, well they they don't use formal six Sigma, but they use statistical methods and and, and I think those are often um, quite useful and, and quite necessary with lean. But I was going to ask you, Simon, maybe to elaborate, you made a point that um, I think is, I think it's very important. I, I agree with you. And I, I don't hear people often talking about percentage compliance to a target versus the actual number. So you use the example of door to needle time, I would much rather see the actual door to meet a, uh, needle time is an average with a spread or a median instead of percentage binary yes, no against a target. I see the same thing in patient satisfaction statistics, where patients are asked to score from one to 10. And instead of getting the actual average, you get told the percentage of patients who said a nine or a 10. And
1: I'm uh, like, score. why yeah.
0: overcomplicate the statistic? I know I've, I've, I've gotten on a soapbox here, but what, can you elaborate on that idea?
1: Uh, if you're talking about the age caps of Presgany, that is uh, very frustrating because your kid went to school, got all the grades in D. next month, they moved them all the all the grades to C. And still, the measure is the same. You never made it to A and B. So there's no improvement here, right? right? right. When there was actually an improvement. So you move your needle from fours and fives to six and sevens in the satisfaction survey. And it doesn't mean anything because it's not in the top box. So it's very frustrating the way it's measured. That's why we're saying, yeah, one thing is a way that you need to report this to the outside world. And the other thing is internally, what do you do with the data you receive? So you have metrics that are important to be reported in the biggest environment in the dashboard. But in the way, the same thing with the door to needle, you have to report the percentage of compliance, but you... But we measure the data internally in, in quality departments from not even door to needle, but door to CT, CT to results, results to, you know. Uh, so we have that information internally, just showcase it and show it. The same thing with the, past, the satisfaction surveys. There's a lot of information about correlating answers with satisfaction and which ones have improved, even if not in the top box. So use the information out of your dashboard, internal in your company, for improvement. There's a whole world there, definitely. Their, their, their percentage of rooms clean or cleans in time, clear, that are cleaned in time, that's the same case, right? Instead of how long it took them to clean the room. Yeah.
0: yeah. All right, so um, we are at the top of the hour. There's a couple of questions left, but uh, Simon, I, I will pass those along to you. Maybe you can reach out. Uh, to people via email if, if, if you have some time.
1: Yes, and if you contact me or add me in LinkedIn, please mention that you met me through the, through the webinar so I, so I know, and I'll be more than, more than happy to be in touch with you and help you with my humble uh, view of, of with the experience that I have and maybe learn from you too. So thank you for the opportunity, Mark, it was a pleasure.
0: Yeah, well, it was a pleasure to have you present today. Uh, Again, uh, Simon DeCastro of uh, Texas Health Resources. Um, You see his his email address there on screen if you want to reach out or you can find uh, Simon on LinkedIn. So um, again, on on behalf of the entire um, Kinexis team, thank you, Simon. Thank you, everybody um, who attended. um, And hopefully uh, we will see you on Friday and then again next Wednesday. Again, kinexuscom slash webinars uh, for those next couple of presentations. We're going to have a couple of webinars in September. We're on a roll here. And um, this, uh, again, you'll get an email with uh, a link to the recording and the slides from today. So thank you, everyone, for attending. Lots of thank yous and great webinars, uh, comments coming in on the chat. So Simon, um, take care. Be well. And um, Thank
1: you. Stay safe.
0: Yeah, thank you. You too.